following is a production of Word Alive Creative Arts. Welcome to the podcast of Word Alive International Outreach in Oxford, Alabama, an apostolic center for transformation and freedom. We pray today that you will be blessed and strengthened by this powerful message. Thank you so much for coming out today. Thank you for those that are tuning in and watching online. Thank you again, John Player. We love John Player around here. We really appreciate him and his heart to worship. We'll be headed right back into worship here in just the next few moments. And uh, the, the Holy Spirit's been doing some significant things, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, just a couple of uh, updates. We have, uh, we're finishing our project, our legacy project. And so I'll have a video for you, hopefully at the end of next week. Uh, it turned out to be a massive project, uh, 6,000 square foot of facility. Uh, we roofed it, uh, uh, did the electricity, plumbing, flooring, landscaping, and gutted a large portion of it to build them a sanctuary uh, to worship in. And so, uh, which almost part about a, but because of your generosity in the community, about a $40,000 project, and we were able to pull it off and it should be finished this week. So thank God, to God be the glory. And uh, 500 students being mentored in our city uh, out of this facility. And so we're so thankful to partner with the Legacy Project and see all that God's doing there. So I'll give you a big video update next week. So we're very, very thankful for your generosity and that uh, really, I believe, a sign to our city to step out with the love of God. Also, I mentioned last week the Passover prophecies, Chuck Pierce's new book that he had sent me, I read. He began to prophesy in 2019, actually, about the times we're living in now. He said we'd be in plague-like conditions and begin to prophesy about that, about what that looks like, how we navigate these times and uh, seasons. It's a very, very powerful book, How God is Realigning Hearts and Nations in Crisis. So I ordered a bunch of them, and they're out there if you'd like to grab one today on the way out. I'm not sure the uh, cost of them. Not sure. Some, 14, something like that. They're on, on, it's well worth it. It's a powerful book. And so uh, bless you if you'd like to continue to move uh, and follow some of those prophecies. We're excited about that. All in Alabama crew was in uh, Pickens County last night and in Wilcox County this morning. So our prayers go with them as they continue to preach the message of Ecclesia. Now 52 counties and counting. And uh, so, uh, yeah, let's give them a big hand. That's great. And so we're excited about all in Alabama and uh, aligning with God's prophetic purposes for the entire state of Alabama. And so we're thankful for that. I want to jump into the word here with you just for a few moments this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, the last month has been really giving me a, a new set of glasses, if you will, a new set of lens to see God's word in a new way. It came from a prophecy from Sean Boltz who said, Kent, God's going to supernaturally give you a message from the Word of God in the next few weeks. This was several weeks ago. And it will be an anointing that will heal cult- cultural rifts and begin to prophesy that it would take us as a church and me as a, uh, with a prophetic edge to this next place God wanted to take us. Little did I realize how God would navigate this, but a I began to get a scripture from the Lord, then someone sent me a book supernaturally to begin to release more information and revelation about it, and then I found myself in this place where God's leading me on a journey of justice throughout the scripture. And so basically, I've invited you to go on a journey with me. And so I'm not preaching to you as a professional, I'm preaching to you as a student, a journalist, if you will, of what I'm finding 
in the scriptures as as I'm studying it. And so my prayer today is that Holy Spirit would help us uh, dare to believe Ephesians 1, that the eyes of our heart would get open so that we could see with a new lens, in a new way, what God's actually saying to us. A paradigm shift, if you will, in the way we think. I believe that in these days, Christianity will find a, a, a new expression in the earth. Christianity as we've known it in the past will not be expressed the same way it's been expressed in this season. I believe it's so important to God of how his kingdom is expressed in this season that he shut the whole globe down and put us all on pause so he could rearrange, slow us down enough to hear what he was saying so we could step into this new season. I believe it's that urgent, that important. I believe it's really important that we pause and really hear God right now and begin to follow him into this next uh, age. As we stepped into 5780, the Hebrew year or 2020 on our calendar, we stepped into a new era, not just a new year. It's a new era, it's a new age. And so what's happened is I believe we have stepped out of a church age that the Bible predicted and stepped into a kingdom age. And what, because it prophesies in Matthew, it says what will happen, there will come wars and rumors of war and plagues and earthquakes, da, da, da. It says what, this is the beginning and the message of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world, then the ends will come. So it is the end. People ask me, is this the end times? Yes, it's the end of an age, but it's the beginning of a new age. And this is the age where I believe the kingdom of God will find its full expression in the earth. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken so we can receive a kingdom that will not be shaken. And so this is a real testing point for us to ask us, are we in the kingdom or not? Are we trusting in the world's kingdom or are we trusting in God's kingdom? This is, this is where we're at as a people. Are, are we living in God's kingdom with peace and joy and righteousness and happiness? Or are we living in the world's kingdom with confusion and stress and anxiety? And it's a real dividing line I see in our nation and in the church of who's really in the kingdom and who's just been talking about being in the kingdom. Just to put it in vocabulary, Kent's King James English. And so I'm asking the Holy Spirit today in the next few moments to kind of help us shift and get a new lens in which to see some things through the scripture concerning Jesus and justice. If I believe that when we look at the gospel, we have to see it through the lens of restorative justice versus retributive justice. Not a justice that's in, in necessarily condemning wrongdoing, but a justice in restoring people, cities, nations, governments, kingdoms. I believe Jesus came to reveal God's eternal strategy of healing, the God we serve. God's work to bring healing to creation actually centered on communities of people that know God, know God's love, and share that love with other human beings. The whole nation of Israel was raised up as a nation, not to be the only nation, but to be the nation that God would demonstrate his goodness and his mercy and his grace through, and then all the nations of the world would be blessed because of seeing what God could do with one community of people. And that through them, they would see the love of God, the mercies of God, and the plans of God for the whole earth. 
And so we're in that moment, I believe, where several Old Testament terms describing this healing strategy are, are being expressed or desperately needed. Shalom. Peace. When we heard the sound of the shofar today, that's the sound of shalom to us, a sound of well-being, of peace, knowing that God is in control. Hest, H-E-S-E-D, which is loving kindness. Mispot or sedeka or sedeka, which means righteousness or justice. These are prominent among the biblical terms, and these terms often cluster together in a mutually reinforcing way. They're not really like loving kindness and mercy. They're not separate. They're actually one in the same. So we see the prophets of the Old Testament, like Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness. Psalm 85, 10, 11, steadfast love and faithfulness will meet justice and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and justice look down from the sky. In other words, heaven and earth all of a sudden meet. What's happening right now is heaven is getting closer to earth. <laughs> That's why everything's shaking. Heaven's, heaven's invading our realm like never before. And so what's about to happen? Justice and truth and peace are about to kiss each other and you and I are gonna be right in the middle of it. This is what God's doing right now this is what's being revealed. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before God. And so Jesus steps in the scene as the Messiah and he begins to proclaim right off the bat, Mark 2 and 17, showing what God's strategy was when Jesus said, I have not come for the well, I have come for the sick. So we see Jesus in justice right immediately in his public ministry. Jesus begun, begins to express these words I just expressed to you. Jesus comes on the scene and says to the people he's preaching to, I didn't come for those who are well, I came for the sick. Right off the bat, Jesus is showing us very clearly God's strategy for healing is not for just the insiders. It's also for those that were considered to be outsiders. Jesus never viewed sin as an attorney, right or wrong, in or out, retributive justice. He viewed sickness or, or, or sin as a doctor or a therapist, sick or well, restorative justice. Therefore, you see Jesus eating with sinners. I'll be back to the side of the room, no sinners over here. We see Jesus eating with sinners. And the political and religious world persecuted him for that because he's doing it to demonstrate a point. I've not come. God's not interested in just the insiders. God's interested also in the outsiders. And he's wanting to bring us all into his kingdom purpose and plans. Hence Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. The whole concept of a community of believers is to be that we are called as agents of healing. And we're not just supposed to heal the Christians. And we're not just supposed to heal the, the insiders, but we're also supposed to be a healing agent for all the world. For it says God so loved the whole world, not just the Jews, not just the Christians, but the world God loves and wanted to bring healing. 
To give evidence of this presence, Jesus offered direct forgiveness apart from temple sacrifice. Jesus healed people of diseases that had alienated them from the faith community. Think about it. So Jesus shows up. He's not just healing to show he's got the power to heal. He's doing it intentionally. He's healing bleeding women who didn't have access into the faith community. He's healing blind people who were considered cursed by the faith community and had no access to them. He's healing lepers, which under the law were unclean. Jesus shows up intentionally healing those who had no access to to the faith community because he knows that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And then he jumps in and charges his followers in Matthew 28, 19, you go and do the same. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So our mission then as a church and as the ecclesia is not just to get people introduced to Jesus or saved under that terminology, but for them to be healed, for them to be made whole, and for them then to be part of our army that's called to go and bring healing and health to our spheres of influence. Not just go and save people, go and baptize people, immerse them in the concepts of the kingdom of God, Right? And the same things that Jesus has taught us, you teach them, then what happens? They experience transformation and then they become agents of transformation. So Jesus isn't preaching something new. He's actually revealing the heart of the prophets of the Old Testament that were crying out for justice. So in Amos' words, I've been talking to you about, you know, what does God require? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly was about justice, he spoke to Israel's failure to embody Torah's concerns for the well-being of all the people of Israel. Amos calls for turning back to Torah and away from the injustices that favored the wealthy power elite over the vulnerable poor. This turning back involved a recovery of genuine justice as the community stands for life for everyone. The call to justice went out as a call to avoid judgment. Get this. Justice was not the judgment. It was the way to avoid it. We viewed God's justice for so long in the Western culture as judgment. But in actuality, God's justice is for us to act justly so we avoid judgment. So the prophets are saying, start acting justly so you're not judged. Because God's foundation is righteousness and justice. Therefore, if you get too far away from that, you will find yourself in a place of judgment. And so justice is not us repenting for something that we're not aware of. Justice is something we begin to do that begins to move us away from judgment into the blessings of God because this is the way the universe works. Now, Jesus came and preached this message. He began his public ministry with this, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. In other words, turn from injustice and alienation and turn toward life. Why? He said the kingdom of God is here. 
In other words, what he's saying is what the prophets prophesied to you about, what Torah actually represented, it's actually right here now present with you and you can step into it. You can step into the justice of Amos and Hosea and Habakkuk. You can move into the things that God has prepared from the foundation of the earth because the kingdom of God is here. So repent, move toward or into the kingdom of God. And in this kingdom, God has a special concern for the well-being of the vulnerable, the excluded, and the oppressed. Jesus stands up, reads the book of Isaiah, and then closes the book and says, what I just read is fulfilled today. He said, the anointing is on me to preach good news to the poor. Anointed me to preach the gospel of the Lord. Sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Many of us miss this. He goes right on and he says something interesting. He said, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. But only to one did God send a prophet, the widow of Zarephath, which was an outsider, a Gentile. There were many lepers, Jesus goes on to say, in the days of the prophets, but only to one did God send a prophet, and that was Naaman, the leper from Syria, an outsider, a leper. It says the religious, political world that day got so upset, they took him to a cliff and tried to throw him over the cliff. Why? He was coming against the systemic poverty that the political, religious community had sustained. And he preached to them these words, something like, you whitewashed sepulchers. You're white on the outside, but you're dirty on the inside. You heap burdens on my people, and you don't use one finger to try to lift a burden off some. And he began to preach this message to the culture of the day. And it's so powerfully brought out to us in Luke 6. I'll just preach you Jesus' message. These are Jesus' words. He went down with them and stood on a level place. I could preach there for an hour. The cross has made all ground level ground. There ain't nobody better than anybody else in in the kingdom of God. Everybody's on level ground. The rich, the poor, the white, the black, the Hispanic, the Asian, all races, we're all on level ground. Total equality in the king. Come on, somebody. Total equality in the kingdom of God. That's why I'm not pulling for the Democrats. I'm not pulling for the Republicans. I'm pulling for the kingdom of God where we find equality for all and level ground at the foot of the cross. Now, I am praying for our president, even though he's a, but I don't even think he's a Republican. He's a wild card for Jesus. <laughs> God bless our Trump card. All right. All large, a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Disease. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing everybody. 
That's what this place is supposed to be. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because your name, because of the Son of Man. He's saying the disenfranchised, those that have been counted down and out, those who've been said you're not worthy to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said rejoice because the kingdom of God is here and the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. But woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are well fed for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated false prophets. I don't know about you, but I love it that people talk negatively about our church, saying anybody can go there. I like it that people say, we're alive. I just think they're too identified with sinners. I mean, they even sing Tennessee whiskey as a worship See, I like being identified like that. Because all the prophets spoke well of false prophets. Everybody spoke well of them. But Jesus is for justice. Now look, here's the life he speaks. This is Jesus' message. To you who are listening, here is what Jesus says it looks like. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them either. Give to anyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lead, lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great in heaven and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Isn't it interesting? It says, do not sin. See, I'm concluded because of the cross, sin doesn't bring judgment. Judgment brings judgment. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Here it goes. Give. Give what? Justice. Mercy. And it will be given back to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Will people measure it back to you and pour it back into your lap? Where's that church? Where's that church functioning in that measure of anointing? See, I've come to this conclusion. We all want Jesus' life, but we don't want to adapt his lifestyle. 
So we want to enjoy the benefits of his life without adopting his lifestyle. And Jesus' lifestyle was what he just preached to us. That is the lifestyle Jesus called us to walk. This so blew my mind this week. You know that scripture I mentioned last week where it says, many will come and say, Lord, Lord, right? We prophesied your name. He said, depart, I never knew you. That word, Lord, Lord, is a Hebraic thought. Lord, Lord. Anytime somebody said, Lord, Lord, they're talking about the justice, compassion, and mercy of God. Because if you go back to Exodus 33, where Moses is being introduced to God's glory, the Lord said to him, when he introduced the glory, he said, the Lord, the Lord God. Lord, Lord. The Lord, the Lord God. And then listed 13 attributes of mercy. Kind, compassionate, generous, faithful. So what Jesus was saying is, many will say that you're a God of justice and that you're a God of compassionate love, but I didn't know you because you didn't act like it. You say I'm this, but your lifestyle didn't line up with that. And see, I'm thinking because of retributive justice that we've been in so ingrained in our mind that we think, well, just Jesus paid for our mercy and then that's all, all we need and we just go on about our life. But Jesus never preached that. Jesus is not a way out. He's a way. He's not the way out. He's the way. But see, everybody wants to get to the truth in life, but they don't want to live the way. Excuse me, Kent, that's pretty good preaching right there. I just told him, I just want, just want to encourage myself just a minute. That's pretty good right there. He is the way. So in the early church, it wasn't known as a way out. He was known, they were called the people of the way because they lived this way. This is the way that people lived because of the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God. If you reread Acts 2, you see these communities that birth healing and restoration to the point it says that nobody among them lacked because they were such a healing agency. They were, they were uplifting the poor. They were, they were engaging the disenfranchised. Everybody had full access. Homes were being shared with one another. People were identifying, classes began to identify with it. Races began to inter- integrate. Classes began to re-identify with each other. And a community was birthed that had never been seen before. And this is what the church was originally designed to be. But we've moved far away from the original intentions of Jesus. Now let me just go quickly. The language is important. New Testament translators render the Greek word for justice most of the time as righteousness and unrighteousness. So they've taken the, the, the Greek and they've made it in most of the times justice, injustice, they've translated it righteousness and unrighteousness. It's not far off, but if you don't understand it properly, the context the word righteousness can cause us to have a predetermined outlook or a view. And so the language becomes important. So in reality, to truly see the scripture in the right lens, almost 100% of the time, every time you see righteousness, it should be translated justice. Unrighteousness or wickedness, injustice. 
And so when you begin to see that now, I've got homework for you today, by the way. You'll be tested tomorrow, next week. Is I'm asking everybody to leave today and go home and read the book of Matthew. Because Matthew depicts this picture I'm wanting you to see through more clearly than any other gospel. And I just want to give you a quick overview. 28 chapters, read four days, seven days, you've read the whole book. Very interesting. First thing that Matthew brings out is that Joseph, the father or the mother, uh, uh, the husband, I went through all categories, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, it says he was a just man before the cross. Before the cross, which tells me it wasn't as much retributive as restorative because he was acting justly. And it says he fully manifested when he found out Mary was pregnant. He actually had to believe the angel's report that she was pregnant by God and stayed with her because he was a just man. Then he slips over to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus outlines the basic characteristics of his message, presenting the message in an updated Torah version, if you will. And he begins the statement with the kind of people who will be most at home in his kingdom And he says he's bringing it near, including those who hunger and thirst for justice. Correct translation. Not those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, I don't have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? I'm already righteous. I'm already righteous because of the cross. Jesus died to provide me the righteousness I need to live in his kingdom through his covenant blood. So I no longer, Jesus isn't talking to those who are thirsting for being right with God. He's talking to those who are hungry and thirsty for the right thing to be done. And he says, those that are hungry and thirsty for the right thing to be done will be filled. felt some anointing in that move right there. That's all I do it again. But also he said, be ready. Those that live in justice, Jesus prophesied, you will suffer great persecution and you will suffer it from the religious political systems, the status quo, which is founded on injustice and they will not welcome the work of Jesus, nor will they welcome the work of his friends. They will fight it tooth and nail and it plays right out to be just like that in scripture. Yet it says Jesus links his followers and their works to justice and its consequences with the prophets of old and promises ultimately God will bring the vindication. Jesus calls his followers to live a life that surpasses the righteousness of Pharisees. Go reread it, Matthew. You have heard it said unto you, but I say unto you. It's an elevated justice and righteousness. The ministry of Jesus' justice centers on the love of a neighbor. Jesus issues a blistering critique of the Pharisees precisely on this view of the application of Torah that does not center on love and genuine justice. Jesus intentionally heals people outside the covenant we talked about earlier. In Matthew 8 and 9, reread these. It wasn't just Jesus healing. He's healing people that didn't deserve to be healed. It's intentional what Jesus is doing and saying, going against the religious system of the day. That's when you begin to understand and see that Jesus begins to preach this message of inclusion of God's people 
issuing justice. He challenges his believers actually in Matthew 6. Don't get preoccupied with material things. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, how you're going to live. Don't worry about these things. God already knows that you have to do these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his justice. And as you do, all these things will be added unto you. He talks about the parable in Matthew 20 that justice is not tied to fairness. He tells a story. When you begin to see a new light, it's like, it's like I've never read the Bible before. I'm reading it with these lenses, and you read this about the laborers. And Jesus said there's a, he was a, a laborer. He owned a vineyard, and a guy hired laborers. And he hired a bunch of laborers and said, I'm going to pay you this much per day. And he cut a deal with them. And it says there was those that came much later in the day and they worked just a little bit of time, but got the same amount as the ones that had worked all day. The way of justice Jesus is talking about here goes beyond strict fairness. It includes a kind of generosity that goes beyond what's expected without shortchanging his original commitment. He challenges those who question of justice of such generosity. And Jesus said, are you envious because I'm generous? You got what I cut the deal with you for. What are you worried about these people for? I'm just. Are you envious because I'm generous? Right? You see it playing out in your life? Jesus, my surgery went well, by the way, thank you. I'm recovering. I'm a Pentecostal here and a Presbyterian here right now. I'm a, I'm just, as soon as this thing gets filled with the Spirit, it's going to get right on up there with everything else. Matthew links justice with generosity toward those most in need. And again, in confrontation between Jesus and the chief priest, Jesus says these words, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will enter the kingdom before you do. Oh, Jesus, well, he's tough, wasn't he? He looked at the religious people. He said, the prostitutes and the tax collectors will enter the kingdom before you do. Why? It said, because John preached the way of justice. And you didn't believe him, but they did. Even after seeing it, he says, you didn't change your minds to believe in him. The way of justice here refers to restorative, not retributive justice, a kind of justice that is inclusive and affects healing, not the kind of justice that is exclusive and affects alienation between the haves and the have-nots. Go reread John the Baptist in Matthew. You're talking about seeker-friendly. Here's John's message to the church. You bag of snakes. That's why he starts out his message. Hey, you bag of snakes. You stiff-necked, rebellious whatevers. You say you're sons of Abraham. I say God could raise a rock up to be that. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. They said, what do we do? He said, if you got two jackets, give one away. You got extra money, extra food, share it. True fruits of repentance. You see, I'm, I, 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 this kind of justice, this kind of, this kind of holiness, I'll call it, 
is not the kind of justice of holiness that avoids sin and darkness and difficulties, but actually it's the kind of holiness and the kind of justice that's willing to step into the middle of it and make it right and transform it, not avoid it. It's not like the Good Samaritan that says the religious man saw the guy bleeding and dying and he had to get to the worship service. I'd love to help you, but the service starts at 11. Not that kind of justice. You probably deserve to be bleeding and dying. You shouldn't have been out so late last night. Jesus comes against the Pharisees of the day and says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and you've neglected the way your laws, matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. He said, You take the little bitty things and you pick them apart and you neglect the weightier matters. Justice, mercy, and faith. Doesn't it remind you of places? You can't wear this, you can't wear that. Your hair's got to be here. You nitpick the things instead of the weightier matters. Final example from Matthew is Jesus calls it the end of the age. He concludes his teaching with an account of the great separation between those deemed to be just and those deemed to be unjust. The decisive factor in this life or death expression of justice turns out to be acts of generosity and compassion. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Such acts embody genuine justice and echo the words of Jesus about his own vocation in Luke 4. Freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind, good news to the poor. I got so blessed yesterday. God gives me these winks every now and then. Just like a, I'm sure he talks to me, but sometimes I just don't listen. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Because honestly, some days I wake up and I'm like, Kent, you're just absolutely out of your mind. Because God's talking to me about things and I'm studying it and listening. And then sometimes I wake up and think, man, you're hearing from God. It's, you know, the enemy and you fight all these battles. So God brings these encouragements. So yesterday, I went about my day and a friend of mine's car was broke down, needed help getting it moved. So I called a national agency who sent a local driver to tow the car. Isn't it interesting how good God is in the details? So I call a national agency who sends a local driver to tow this friend of mine's car who's on the side of the road. And so I talked to her on the phone, it's, and it's a woman driver, which I thought was pretty interesting and cool, driving this big old truck. She's so courteous, so kind, so generous. She got there before we did. Don't worry, she said, I'm in no hurry. This is her, I'm gonna tell you about her. I took my picture with her. She said, don't worry, I'm in no hurry. She does all the work, will let us do a thing. 
She brings it to the church here. We get it sorted out. There's another vehicle broke down here on our property that we we need moved somewhere else. She moves that for us. No charge. Unloads that car. She's pretty cool. She's a strong chick. All tatted up. You know, she can get the job done. She got that last car moved. She called it to me. She said, I've been wanting to meet you. I said, why? She said, I was in prison because of drugs. And somebody gave me your DVD teachings. And I started watching them in prison. And somehow your message made a dirty old soul like me find hope in God once again. And she said, I'm saved and I've been clean for seven years. Come on, somebody. I said, you are not a dirty old soul. You're a precious soul. Um, her, I didn't know this. Her parents come to this church. I saw them this morning. I didn't know that that was her parents. Her employer is part of this church who believes in second chances. See, I believe this message of grace, this message of doing the right thing, justice, will change the world. It'll reach the prisoner, the prostitute, the doctor, the mom, the dad, the son, the daughter, because we all need mercy. And we all need God's restorative justice. I'm not saying it doesn't come with discipline. She was in prison. But in the discipline, she found justice. She found a restorative justice. You see what I'm saying? Not not that she's just forfeited, done. In the discipline, in that she found the justice. And stepped into it. And so I'm convinced this is the message of Jesus. Jesus. But as I said earlier, we want his life, but not his lifestyle. Therefore, he never said one time, worship me. He actually said, follow me. Do you want to live this way? This lifestyle? Then come and follow me. Come and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'll show you how to live the way of justice the way of walking and working with God to bring about his healing strategy for the world. And the next thing you know, your person, your family, the sphere of influence, everything around you begins to be transformed by the healing, restorative power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Would you stand on your feet with me just for a moment? We're gonna get the worship team back. We wanna jump into worship here just for a second. But here's what Jesus requested. He said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. Because if you keep trying to save your life, hear this. If you keep trying to save your life, in other words, if you keep trying to get your own justice, if you keep trying to defend your own rights, 
If you keep trying to get things to go your way at the expense of others, you're gonna wind up losing your life. But if you will go ahead and lose it, then you will actually find it. Not only here, but eternal life in the world to come. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of justice. And this is the healing strategy that will change our lives, our families, our communities, our cities, our nation, and nations of the world. So I challenge you, go home. Read Matthew with a new pair of glasses. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and begin to put inside of you the grace and faith to fully follow Jesus. And watch what Jesus will do with your life and then those in your spirit of influence. He will bring radical transformation in this season of our lives. Amen. This has been a presentation of Word Alive International Outreach, 122 Allendale Road, Oxford, Alabama. Reach us by phone at 256-831-5280 or at our website, wordalive.org. This has been a production of Word Alive Creative Arts.